0: Welcome to Tiff Talks Podcast. My name is Tiffany Marie Davis, formerly known as Tiffany Marie Boydston. A lot of you may know me or have seen me from my competing days as a top IFBB bikini pro. I have since then turned from a top 10 bikini Olympian, celebrity master trainer, and corporate dropout to a serial lifestyle entrepreneur. Let me tell you, friends, this has not been a walk in the park. There's five key areas I will be discussing in wellness, mindset, mentorship, business, and faith. My mission has always been in serving others through real-life experiences with no fluff. Tip Talks is about real, raw, juicy conversations to show you how to discover the champion you have within. Get ready, everyone. Here is where I show you how to take over your life. Welcome to Tiff Talks podcast. My name is Tiffany Marie Davis, your host, and I have your co-host here, Miss Ferris C. And we have a very, very special guest today. Uh, we have Mr. Jacob Stitch Duran. And if you guys don't know who this man is, you know he was an MMA and boxing cut man. Jacob Jacob Stitch Duran grew up in a migrant camp in San Joaquin Valley of California, where he worked in the field starting at the age of five. His childhood dreams were to see the world while playing professional baseball, like his hero, Roberto Clemente. These, those dreams ended up due to the lack of money and transportation after a brief stint at Merced College. And then, you know, he's we're going to let him take it from there, you guys, because I want you guys to hear it from the words of this man himself, you guys, Mr. Jacob Stitcher, welcome to the show.
1: Well, thank you, Tiffany. appreciate it. How are you doing,
0: Hello, hello. Hello, hello. So you know you have a beautiful, beautiful story, and I want you to share with everyone that hasn't actually gotten to know who Jacob Stitcheran is. So why don't you go ahead and pick up where I left off?
1: Yeah, it's pretty much you know I started off as a, as a farm worker. That's what makes me proud, and that's what makes the person that I am. Right, and uh, literally as you look at my birth certificate, uh, the address is CPC number twelve. That's for the California Packing Company number twelve. Right, so uh, you know those I come from humble beginnings, and uh, but. We've all come somehow from humble beginnings, but we've all had dreams. And my dreams were always to play professional baseball. And, uh, you know, every summer when the farm workers would come in from Arizona, Texas, New Mexico, Mexico, they would come work the crops with us. A lot of them were baseball players from Mexico. And I was 13, 14, 15 years old. And we would play these Sunday games, so I could play baseball. But I walked down to a college and uh, didn't have a ride. My Mercedes was nine miles away from my little town of Planada. So I would uh, go to school with friends. After school, they would leave and I'd stay in the practice and I would have to kind of hitchhike back, right? But I'd grown up as a farm worker, I was very naive. So I didn't understand anything about grants and scholarships and all that uh, to talk to the coach, you know, and teachers. So I joined the Air Force and that was in 1972. And in uh, 1974, they stationed me in a place called Thailand. And I didn't know what Thailand was. I was pretty naive, but I always, it was during the Bruce Lee era. So I always said, if I went into the Orient, I would want to study the martial arts, and uh, so I had friends that were already stationed there like three months before me, so they were already acclimated. So they invited me downtown to In Banshan to see some fights. I'm thinking it's boxing. And I see this guy threw a kick, knock a guy out, and I said, "I'm in." You know? <laughs> so, so that following Monday uh, on the base, they had Taekwondo for the GIs, right? Well, Taekwondo Thailand sounds the same. I didn't know that Taekwondo was a Korean art, uh, but the Koreans left, and the Thais took over, and then they transitioned us. Into the Muay Thai system with taekwondo skills, which worked out to my advantage. So Mm -hmm. when I got back to the States, uh, I got into boxing just to improve my hands and formulate a whole program. And then I opened up my school of kickboxing, uh, ASK, the American School of Kickboxing. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's where I learned. I was a trainer. I I managed the guys. I promoted fights. But I was also, I learned to be a cut man for economics, plus I wanted to know the whole aspect. And being a cut man just kind of floated to the top. And 26 years ago, I packed up my family and moved to Las Vegas. And here I am talking to you.
0: I love that. And so what I love the most in through your story, because I've, I've known you for quite some time, is you're a family man. You're yeah. an absolute family man. And I love that about you. I think, you know, when I bumped into you just not too long ago at self-made training facility, you were getting tacos for your family.
1: <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. 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 So, And you just happened to stumble across us. And I was like, stitch. And we had Jason. Seeing wants it in the corner with me and I was like look brother stitch is here so it was like no accidents right but I love that you just spoke about your family so I want to talk about your family a little bit because you know to to be the man that you are today I'm sure there was a lot of sacrifices that went in and yeah. you, you packed up your entire family they've always been on your side with this so I want to talk about that so what was what was the most challenging thing for you and your family during this stage of your life
1: well, let's go to my immediate family, my brothers, my sisters, my mother, my father, my uncle that, you know, we literally put in the trunk of the car to cross him over from Juarez, Mexico to El Paso to bring him across. So uh, we brought him illegally, so I understand, you know, but, uh, uh, you know, my, my, my parents were, <coughs> they were farm workers. My father had, but they were leaders in their own mind. Uh, my father was always the foreman, so he would hire workers. To work the crops, and 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 he would teach them whatever they had to do, so he had those leader qualities. Uh, same thing with my mother, and uh, but they were always for the rights of the people, and, uh, and that's something that has always stuck with me, and, uh, you know, so uh, what I am is because of them, and the same thing with my brothers and sisters, you know, uh, we've always been giving back, and you know, uh, just kind of treating people with respect and all that. But my family that I have now with my, uh, my children and my wife, um, I worked the corporate job. I worked for RJ Reynolds tobacco company for like 23 years, but my dream when I was back in Fairfield, I had my school of kickboxing. So I had fighters and I traveled the world and I, I worked with boxers and all that, but I was good at what I did. So my dream was always to make it to Las Vegas and I put in for a job transfer. And uh, I waited about a year, and finally they, I get a call and say, look, there's an opening in Las Vegas, but you got to be there in a week. And, God, that's kind of tough to do. So yeah. I called the manager, and he gave me two weeks. And uh, I'm telling you, Tiffany and Ferris, in two weeks, I transferred my school to a student. I sold my house. I put my family in a U-Haul, and we drove nine hours to Las Vegas. And then I took like a $25,000 a year cut in pay. But okay. my wife and my children supported me. Yeah, crazy, right? Yeah. Take the pain. Right. Yeah. And uh, right. but my wife and my 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 uh, my kids supported me. And, you know, my brother lived there. And, and uh, I remember one time he comes to the house and my wife is crying and, you know, he thought we got into a fight. And it was it wasn't that it's just that I couldn't pay my rent. So mm-hmm. I'll never forget. He lent me three thousand dollars right off the bat. And uh, from that point, I never never looked back, paid him back and with interest. And, but I've never looked back. And, you know, sometimes you got to take the pain to get where you got to get.
0: Yeah, I love that, and and you know, catapulting into your career from that point. Let's talk about the pain. <laughs> let's talk about the pain. So I want you to to really talk about you know during that time of your life. You know what what type of moral did that instill in you moving forward? Well, I've
1: always had the morals. It was just that, uh, you know I just wanted to uh, apply them in the boxing capital of the world, right? And uh, so I, I came with those characters, and I didn't come to be a trainer, though I had those qualities because I was a trainer before I was a cut man, mm-hmm. and. Uh, because I, I, I thought all the great trainers in the world were here in Las Vegas, the boxing capital of the world. And at that time, it was only boxing, no MMA. And uh, uh, and I started seeing guys work, and I started doing past for guys, Mike McCallum, Johnny Tapia, and then I started working as a trainer. But then my job wouldn't – I couldn't give you 150%. Uh, so I, they would hire me, you know, in between work and all that. But coming to the top, uh, my coming out fight was Raul Marcus fought Keith Mullins. Raul Marcus was the IBF uh, I think middleweight champion. He ended up with five cuts, one or two big ones, two here and one here. I kept him in the game. He defended his title with something like 70 stitches. And that's when people said, hey, who is this guy? You know, and I I haven't turned back since.
0: So, and what made you want to be the best cut man in the industry? Because obviously you had baseball dreams. You had really big dreams that financially, you you know, you couldn't get into that field, but you, you just switched it because, you know, you did have that, that twinkle in your eye that you just knew you were meant for more. So what made you want to be the best cut man in the industry, seeing that you grew up in the fighting industry alone, but what made you want to be the best cut man in the industry?
1: Well, I didn't think I was going to be the best cut man. I just wanted to be good at what I did. Right. And, and, uh, I, I couldn't afford to go back. So I had to go forward because I took such an economic drop in pay. But yeah. when I started working with these top professional boxers, what I lost, I compensated through working with them. Uh, mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I guess in anything I always wanted to do Tiffany and Ferris is I always wanted to do, do it. If you got to do it, you got to do it right. So I tell my kids it's so much easier to do things the right way than to do the wrong things and then try to cover them. So I've always tried to do things the right way and, and respect people. And I think, uh, Uh, to performance, you know, wrapping good hands and working cuts, but I think respecting people is really what has helped me uh, get me to the top.
0: Yeah, and, you know, we're going to get into that a little bit because you have the most utmost respect when it comes to, you know, what you do, and did you ever, during that time, though, did you ever want to be a fighter yourself, seeing that you've trained so many amazing fighters, being through that, you've seen the the good, the bad, the ugly, did you ever want to be a fighter at any time?
1: Well, you know, when I, when I was in Thailand, I had a couple. it was karate. I mean, Muay Thai was non-existent, right? And, 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 uh, but they had karate on bases, so I joined those. And literally, I beat the crap out of these guys, right, with just my legs. And yes. then when I, when I got back to the States, I was, I was stationed in uh, Rapid City, South Dakota. And I joined a tournament up there. And uh, I think I fought three guys, and, and I threw, like, a total of five kicks and, and put them all out. You know, and one guy, the guy that I fought for, I guess, the championship says, you know, you're kicking too hard. And at that point, I didn't understand point karate, right? So yep. I was slamming these guys, you know, and, uh, <laughs> and hurting them. And <laughs> but being that I had studied taekwondo, the, the guy for the championship, I threw a stepping side kick right in the ribs and kind of threw him out. And we had to take the old karate kid timeout where I'm facing away from him on my knees and, you know, and uh, and we come back and we start. And then I threw a roundhouse in the same spot. That was it. That was my championship. So, uh, but, you know, uh, kickboxing was just getting started in the States. It yeah. was nothing more in the Midwest. Than anything else in some of the East Coast. But I had an eight to five job and uh, I was happy with that. And, you know, just so no, it it never really dawned on me. But uh, I guess to be where I'm at, I've taken the pain. I understand. I've given the pain and I've taken the pain. uh, And I've gone through the agony of defeat and the thrill of victory. So I have that under my belt that I can relate with fighters. So I understand.
0: Yeah, leave it to Stitch Duran to open up kickboxing division. They're like, we don't know what to do with this, so we're just going to call it kickboxing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I love that. I love that. So did you ever have like an awe moment where you looked around and said, wow, I, I can't believe I'm a part of this?
1: Yeah, there's, uh, there's been many, many, many moments, you know, from the movies with Rocky Sylvester Stallone. But I think yeah. one big moment was uh, I went to Japan to work a pride fight, uh, actually in New Japan Pro Wrestling with Josh Barnett. And mm-hmm. we're in the Tokyo Dome. And I walk in, and I think the Tokyo Dome holds something like 80, 90,000 people. And, and it was jam-packed. And I'm right at ringside, and I'm looking up, and, and I'm thinking, wow, I'm that little Chicano kid from Tanada, yeah. And yeah. I am in Tokyo in front of 90,000 people in the Tokyo Dome. That really, I think, was the significant point where I said, you know, I've, I've kind of made it. Uh, but even with um, when I did Creep with Sylvester Stallone, you know, I, I'm working side that by side great. with them. Yeah, I'm working side by side with him and Michael B. Jordan for six weeks. And, and I tell Sly, I said, you know, I can't sleep at nights, And he says, what's wrong? I said, you know, I'm in my room, you know, six weeks here. And I'm thinking, what am I doing here? You know, I got Sylvester Stallone, Michael B. Jordan, Ryan Coogler, that wrote and directed uh, Creed. Uh, he also directed Black Panther. Uh, but he says, you know what, you earned it. And at that point, I thought, you know what, that's – he's right. I did. I, I paid my dues to get where, I, where, I, where I'm at. And I'm just warming up, I tell people. You know, so things are just getting better.
0: Yeah, and so, and I love that you said that because I know you're not done. There's so much more, and you're at the tender age of...
1: How, 60, I'll be 69 this year, or this month. Uh, and, well, we're not in December yet.
0: Uh, my goodness. Yeah, yeah. Guys, if you're watching this on the YouTube, I can't even, I mean, he, 69, that's incredible. Absolutely amazing. And so, let's talk about some of the fighters that, that you've trained, you've worked with a lot. And, you know, you've worked with a lot of people. Who would you say are your favorite, favorite fighters that you've worked with?
1: Yeah, that's, uh, you know, that's like saying I like you better than Paris, you know, <laughs> I, can't, I can't say that, you know, but, uh, I had a, lot, a lot of great moments, you know, with, um, uh, well, obviously in boxing, let's just go with boxing, it's Vladimir Vitaly Klitschko, you know, they just classy, classy, classy people, you know, uh, yeah. but I've done so many, Fedor Milianko was, was mm-hmm. an honor to work with him, but Josh Barnett, when he left the UFC, brought me on to work with him uh, for the New Japan Pro Wrestling, the pride fights and all that, And and as a character, as a person, Top of the line, you know, he would fly, we'd go to Japan, he'd be on business. And of course I'd be on coach and he'd come in and bring me the cheese and the grapes and, you know, the stuff that they were munching on in first class and he didn't have to do that, you know? Uh, But so many guys, I mean, it's, it's to the point now, Tiffany, if, if you ask me about a fighter, I'll tell you a story.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's what I love the most, and and I want to get there because you have a, an undeniable bond with these fighters, and you know the the one thing that I really want to talk about is the emotional aspect of the mindset that goes into all of this yeah. because um, you are in a sense the minute you walk in the room, it's you know it's like everything stops, and and to that fighter it's real, yep. everything they've just trained their entire you know life for for that moment because every moment is different, and as soon as you walk into that room, that fighter knows all right, it's time. It's time. And in that moment, you're also that grounding space. You're, you're wrapping, you know, you're having those conversations, their head is down or they're looking at you in the eye. There's a lot going on. And I want to talk about that moment because it's also a moment for you that I, I mean, you, you see on the other end, you see the fighters, but I want to talk about you. What, what, what is going through your mind in this moment before you go and see those fighters?
1: Yeah, you know, that's the, that's the adrenaline rush within ourselves. It's, this is what we live for, right? But I guess as we go back, Frank Mir, probably had the best quote outside of Vitor Balfour on that one. But Frank Mir says, when I see Stitch walking into the dressing room, my stomach just drops because I know it's time to fight. So that's, that's that's a true statement. But, you know, what I do is is when I'm wrapping their hands, I'll shoot the shit with them. I'll, I'll break them out of that because I know it's a tough, tough position. Yeah. Uh, I've had fighters, and I won't throw a name out, that have literally cried as I'm wrapping their hands because I understand it's an emotional thing, it's a adrenaline thing. So I just stop and I finish, you know, let him get his thing off and I'll give him a, a hug and I'll say, look, man, I'm here to take care of you. Don't worry about nothing, you know, you go out there. But, you know, one of the, the major factors, Tiffany, at first that kind of gave me a reality of what importance I bring to these fighters is when Lyoto Machido fought uh, Rashad Evans and he beat him for the title, right? Well, if you remember Lyoto Machida's father, he's very Japanese, very proud. Yeah. You know, shogunish type of guy. And, and uh, I, so I go in the dressing room after the fight, and I congratulate him. And his father is sitting there very, very proud. And he says, "Teach, you know, muito obrigado, thank you, you know, for, you know, I told him congratulations. And he says, "Teach, in the ring, you are my father. Mm-hmm. And, I, and his father looks at me and kind of, I agree, you know, concur. You know, uh, Carol Parisian. Uh, when he fought uh, Drew Fickett, it was at the, I think the Marine base. With, he ended up with a big old gash, and, and he messed up because he's looking at the big screen, and he goes he- like this, and he opens it up, right? <laughs> and, and Manny Gambarian is, I had just met Manny that day, and Neil, and, and they were like this much experience when it came to working corners. So my job as a, as, as a cut man is not to give instructions, but I knew that they were in dire straits there, because Kara was freaking out, because that cut. You know, Manny and Neil didn't know what to do outside of that, so I took control. And I said, look, man, Carol, don't worry about nothing, man. The cut's okay. You go out there and you just stay on the stand-up, you know, and, and you say, hey, I'm winning the fight. But going shows later, I'm doing a show at the MGM, and I see Carol and his father, and I go and I say hi to Carol, and, and he introduces me to his father. And, you know, Armenian people are like Mexican people, very family-oriented. Right.
0: Mm-hmm. So he,
1: his father says, thank you for taking care of my son. He goes, I want to invite you to my house for dinner. And I thought that was such a, a statement, a good statement. And You know, he lives in L.A. and I live in Las Vegas. And I knew the invitation was there and I knew it probably wouldn't happen. But he offered that to us, uh, to me. And I thought that was the moment, obviously, it was important because I'm presenting it to you, you know. And uh, so uh, those moments, you know, are are tremendous. You know, uh, going into Vladimir Klitschko when he fought Anthony Joshua, this same thing that Leotra taught me, I've, I've used that because I know it affected them. And yeah. – uh, but <clears> – <throat> Uh, Vladimir Klitschko's fighting Anthony Joshua, 90,000 people, Wembley Stadium. And I don't see Vladimir to the weigh-ins, but I've been with him for like 10, 12 years. And, and he knows if I say something, it's the truth. I don't say much, but when I say it, it's the truth. And okay. so I'm talking to Vladimir and Vitelli before the weigh-ins. And uh, right before we go out, I put my arm on Vladimir. I say that little thing. I said, Vladimir, don't worry about nothing. Tomorrow I'm going to take care of you like you my son. And because I know you know the night before a fight these fighters are going through all these emotions are running through their head their adrenaline so here i am in front of ninety thousand people before michael buffer does the announcements i'm putting the final vaseline on vladimir and we're like this far apart and he says you could call me son Mm -hmm. and it gave me chills but i knew that i had gotten into his mind that night before and it was probably one of the best performances he ever had in his whole career and He says, uh, he called me a week later and said, Daddy! (laughs) So so I knew I had an effect on these guys.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think you have an effect on the world. You know, I think that everybody knows that when you come in, it's a different, it's just a different, it's a different story. You know, you you come in with that love, that genuine love, and, and it's irreplaceable. And that's why you are the best at what you do is because you come from that emotional space of it doesn't matter who they are, it doesn't matter what's behind, what's in front in this moment, it's about them. And that you, you, you connect in that moment and letting them know that it's going to be okay, no matter what, that yeah. you're going to take care of them. And, you know, it's, it is really special. Um, you know, I want to talk about a little bit about the pain aspect because all fighters have a story, right? You have a story. I have a story. Ferris has a story. And, and what's really beautiful is when you can come out of these stories and these pain aspects, you know, I, I, I want to talk about, cause I mean, you've gone through a lot. And you worked very hard to where you've gotten, Um, you know, especially with UFC, you've really worked your way up through the UFC. And I want to talk about that moment in your life, because I know there was a lot of transition between, you know, (laughs) politics, um, you know, income, there was a lot of different things that had happened. Reebok came in and it was, I mean, I'm friends with a lot of these fighters. So I know that it wasn't an easy transition across the board. So I want to talk about that time in your life, because that right there is something that. You've, you've sacrificed so much. You have been there every, every step of the way with these fighters. You have an emotional attachment to the UFC as well. So during that time, you know, with everything in transition, what, what was that, that pain moment for you? Because I know that I'm sure that you've experienced a couple of, of lows during that time.
1: Yeah, yeah, there were. But let me give you one more story because I, I think it's yeah. important. Vandalay Silva. I love Vandalay Silva. Shogun, Vandalay. We love all Vandalee.
2: of them. I love them all.
1: Yeah, for, <laughs> all, all these guys, when we were doing the shows in Japan, they would call me Santana, Carlos Santana, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah.
2: I love so, it. You do look yeah, like um, him. Yeah, I was just so, going to so, say, so,
1: yeah. So, so Vandalay is fighting Chuck Liddell, and I'm working the corner with Chuck Liddell, but about a week before, I see Vandalay, and, and, and we're friends, you know, and I say, Vandalay, you know, I want to give you good karma. It's my birthday that day. I want to wish you good luck and give you good karma. So, you know, I did that. And so Leon Tabs, the original cutman for UFC, is working Vandalay's corner and I'm working with Chuck like that one these guys are probably one of my top three brutal fights that I've seen I and mean, these guys are just they're cracking each other and you can hear those punches and yeah. Chuck gets a cut and I take care of him and uh, so after the fight I clean up Chuck and I go to Vandalay and, and he's all swollen up and Leon is working on him and I said I said Vandalay how are you doing oh no Stish, Stish, I'm okay I'm okay and right after this hardest probably fight he's ever been he says speech right in the middle of the ring Stish, happy birthday Man, uh-huh. if that didn't get me, nothing did, you know. Uh, but that just shows the kind of emotion that these guys give me, you know. Uh, many times these guys have told me they love me. So fast forward into uh, what happened with the UFC. I guess that's what you're getting at, right? So let's talk. Yeah. <laughs>
2: right, let's, yeah let's just talk. a little bit. Start? I mean, if I can interject before you go into it, because I know it's kind of a controversial thing, and it's so massive. And I honestly, it's, you know, I'll say it. shame on them. But um, what I keep hearing from you and it's, it's just something that's coming up is just, you're like a guardian angel to these people, whether it's, you know, boxing, whether it's MMA, whether it was UFC, you know, all these fighters over the years. I mean, even your family, you know, you talk, we go way back. You're like, Hey, I brought, you know, my uncle over in the trunk of a car. Like you're like this guardian that calms these people, that gives these people this sense of peace and this warmth and this welcome that makes them feel like, okay, cool. I can go ahead and do this. And, I just think that's so amazing that after all of these years, whether this was a dream that you wanted to do something that you just fell into, it's like, you're just like this guardian angel to all of these people. And I know all of them are so thankful. So having those moments where it's like those little moments where it's he's like, happy birthday or call me son, or, you know, that just must feel so good inside to where you're warm. Like every time you talk about this stuff, like I'm getting chills. Cause I'm like, Oh my gosh, Oh my gosh. Yeah. And it's just, you're this guardian. So, you know, transition, obviously let's talk UFC you know, take it from there. Yeah.
1: Well, that's, yeah, that's but you're right, you know, and, 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 giving back, I think that's the whole thing, uh, Ferris is, is, those are structures that my parents had, you know, like I said, we were all farm workers and when all these farm workers would come into town, they would come to work the fields, mm-hmm. but there was no, no guidance. They just come to work the fields and there'd be times when guys would be working the fields. And I remember that, you know, I'd be picking peaches or nectarines and for lunch, these guys would be eating the food that they were picking. That was our lunch, you know? And, uh, so, we always gave back, but fast forward. So I knew Dana White from before the UFC. You know, we were always in the gyms. I was training fighters, and, and he was more or less doing pads and uh, for the housewives of of the executives and the executives. But shit, he was making more money than us, so he was, okay. you know. But nonetheless, he, <laughs> I was doing a K1 at the Bellagio, and uh, I think uh, Kimo was fighting uh, Bob Sapp, and Dana was in the audience, you know, and I always got wrong with Dana. That's, you know, so he says, "Stitch, give me your card. He goes, uh, uh, we bought the UFC. And the next day he gives me a call and, and uh, asked if I'd be interested in being a cut man along with Leon Taz, which was the original cut man from UFC number one. They brought him on board. Uh, I knew zero about MMA, but it was work as a cut man, and that's what I do, right? So I came on board. Burt Watson, of course, was uh, the coordinator. So it was Burt Watson, Leon Taz, and myself. And literally the program that you see the UFC use with cut men, uh, the – program you see all martial arts including bare knuckle fights the the system they use for cut men is the one that we designed we designed it ourselves as, as how we're we gonna wrap the fighter's hands because you know and, and i gotta give dana credit he to bring me in because he knew that mma was such a new sport that um, these guys didn't know how to wrap hands much less work cuts so being that we were boxing people we knew those uh those those, those type of things so he brought us in and um, it worked out good where it was just Leon tabs and myself and more people wanted us to wrap hands. More people wanted me to wrap their hands. And uh, so we brought in down house and from there, you know, now I think they, everybody uses four or five cut men, but it's the same system that we, we put together. Uh, so things were going great. You know, uh, sponsors, we had sponsors. I, I started out with tap out. And, uh, and as a matter of fact, uh, tap out, if you remember, people probably don't know this, but uh, 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 mm-hmm. They are the ones, Charles Mask is the one that designed my vest. And that vest is what a lot of people are using. Well that system, putting right. their sponsors and all that, but he's the one that designed it. And uh, it got to, we got to a point where we would he would make me a vest, and after a fight, I would pick out an audience, autograph it, and give it to them. Right. Mm-hmm. So so Tap Out was my first sponsor, Science, you know, and then um, Mark Zucker from One More Round, when I did the Balboa movie, uh, He looked at that where Rocky is telling his his son, I got to go one more round. He said, you know what, that's so instrumental in any part of life. So he got Matt Hughes. He sponsored Matt Hughes, and Matt Hughes is the one that told Mark, I said, look, if anybody gives a fighter one more round, it's Stitch. So he called me and he sponsored me. And uh, for the longest time, I was making – I needed the UFC to make my money through the sponsors. I was making a lot more money through sponsors than I was through the UFC. Mm-hmm. and fast forward then they go into the Reebok deal and of course you know you know tiffany because you were in the, in the trenches there all uh, the fighters and the trainers everybody hated it because fighters were losing a lot of money right and money. Um, exactly. so everybody was hating it and they well they call the cut mid and uh, well the, the fighters are giving them some compensation by the amount of fights that you have which was which is garbage for the most part well they get the cut mid together and they say you know what we were with Reebok you got to get rid of your sponsors and I always represented all the cutmen. I got a sponsor, let's say, from top off. They don't, look, how about Leon and how about House?" And, you know, that's, so I always represented them, and that's part of me, my, my parents being leaders, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but they said, well, there's no money in the kitchen. So at that point, the fighters are hating it. The fans are hating it. The media, you know, they're getting a lot of backlash. And John Nash from Bloody Albow calls me, uh, sends me a message, and says, would you be interested in doing an interview on how the Reebok deal affected the cutmen? And oh, I go back to the past of when my parents were in the boycotting of uh, gallo and grapes and lettuce because of the, uh you know, the bad practices. Cesar Chavez was, was the leader of that. And I remember as a young 12-year-old kid, when they did the huelga march from Delano to Sacramento uh, to pro- protest unfair practices, we participated in that, you know. And uh, so... When that happened, I thought about it and I said, you know what? I have to. You know, my parents would be ashamed of me if I didn't speak up for the rights of, of, of us. There so you know. I thought, you know, the article interview was very politically correct, uh, being that I worked with RJ Reynolds for 23 years. I knew how to be corporate America. Right. But that, that article went viral, ah, just kind of exploded, and, and people are effing Dana, effing UFC, effing Reebok. And I'm getting messages from all over the world and supporting me and what have you not. So I'm at Costco with my wife, and we're shopping, and I get a phone call from one of the staff members of the UFC. My friends, we're all friends. And yeah. he said, hey, do you have time to talk? And I knew what the conversation was about because I had, I mean, there was hundreds, hundreds of messages. And I said, nah, you know what? I'll be home. Give me about an hour. Yeah. So I get home, and, and both Jess and Mark call me, and uh, his voice is cracking. And the only thing he says is, because of the interview you did about Reebok, the UFC's not going to use you no more. And I kind of, kind of expected it. You know, I kind of put myself out. Uh, but I'm getting tons of tweets and messages. And the first one that I get, it's a guy named David Estrada. And I said, I want you to be the first to know that the UFC just let me go uh, about speaking out about the Reebok deal. Uh, now I've got to find a new job. Uh, man, that went viral, like mega big. I'm getting offers from all over the world. Right. Um, this, the guy from Reebok is calling me and he's apologizing, saying that he has nothing to do with it. And <laughs> and so, so the emotions were going like this. I mean, it's crazy. Bad boy, Robin, which was my sponsor, uh, yep. Robin Offner from bad boy called me. Uh, and uh, I'm on my way to do a radio interview at the Mandalay Bay MMA junkie radio. My, my son is driving, my wife's in the passenger seat. And I'm in the back because I'm getting all these messages. And Robin says, Hey, Stitch, we'd like to do something for you. We'd like to create a shirt, and then all the proceeds go to you. Man, I started crying. You know, I just, the adrenaline, the the positive energy,
0: uh,
1: that kind of hit me. And and then, but there was another guy, uh, uh, Robbie, that does Motivational Monday, uh, Motivational speaking on Monday. Motivational Monday, he called it. And he said, Today's topic will be about a good friend of mine, Stitch Duran, who stood up for what he thought was right and this and that and in doing so lost his job. And, and I start crying again. And my wife walks into the, right here in the same room I was speaking to you. My wife walks into the room and, and she said, what's wrong? What's wrong? And I let her listen to that, that motivational Monday. And she starts crying. <laughs> so, uh, it was quite emotional, you know? And, uh, but as I look at it in the long run, uh, the best thing ever happened to me was for uh, them to let me go under these circumstances. And when I did the first Creed movie, uh, yeah, first I, can, I think you'll like this story. Wesley Snipes comes up to me after the, you know, you, you go see the premiere, and then you have an after-movie party, right? Wesley Snipes comes up to me, shakes my hand, and says, the only thing he said is, the UFC did you wrong. So I knew that the world needed Yes, would, see? i
2: you know. not the only one. I mean, it's like they did you wrong, but they also, like, that door closing has opened so, so many things for you to where it's like, okay, go through a little bit of this, to experience what I'm really, really meant to do. So I love that. See, I'm not the only one.
1: No, no, but there's another one now. And uh, with the two weeks ago, because I'm doing the top ranked shows in, in the bubble at the MGM, and, and it's all boxing, right? Well, Andres, one of the trainers, that, one of the famous trainers from Brazil that trains a lot of these Brazilian fighters, was one of the coaches. And we're talking. And he said, You know, Speech, we, the trainers and we, the fighters, we respect you so much because we couldn't say what you said because we would lose our positions, our jobs. And and coming from him years later, it's been like five years. For him to say that just brought so much satisfaction to me, that knowing that uh, what I did was the right thing.
0: Yeah, I don't think there's anything ever wrong in standing up for what you believe in. That's why you're in America, you know? And- right. And that's that's why we have these big dreams and aspirations, and then and then just to not stand up for what we believe in. Like you said, you 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 have created and earned who you are today. That would be silly of you not to stand up for what you believe in and what you think is right. So and and yeah, I mean, look at what it's done for you. It's it's closed a door, and yes, it's a painful experience, I'm sure. But in those moments, you have to give up to go up. And you know, going going through your story now, and you know gosh, it's incredible. What I want to, what I want to know though, is I'm going to ask you a couple of questions because, um, looking at your entire, I mean, getting kicked, kicked in the face, left and right gouges, you just see everything, right? So what is one thing that you, I mean, what you do is very, you have to have a strong stomach for what is your biggest fear or most disgusting, I should say. (laughs) Um, moment that happens where you're like, okay, this one is gonna require some like mustering up strength. <laughs> when when was that moment for you?
1: Uh well there's been, there's been quite a few. Uh yeah, yeah. but you know uh-huh. I think that's and, and people ask what's the number one thing of being a good cut man? Well keeping your composure number one is is key. All right. But if you remember the first big your uh Forrest Griffith fighting Shogun, first UFC fighter yeah. fight, fighting a, a pride fight oh,
2: right? so epic. Yes, and so
1: well, I'm working with Forrest because I worked with him from, from day one. I uh, love Forrest. The reality show and when he fought Stefan Bonner. And and mm-hmm. to the point now, I'll, I'll give you a quick side. After that fight with Stefan Bonner, it's what made the UFC, right? Right. And when I'm cleaning up Forrest and and he's, you know, those, but I'm working on him. And after the fight, we're standing there for the decision. And his coach says, Titch, I'm not gay, but I got to give you a kiss, man. Thanks for taking Forrest. <laughs> right? So that's just those type of moments, right? And. Right. Uh, but yeah, it just uh, so many great moments. Uh, I don't know. I think um, Forrest when he fought uh, Shogun, you know that big old cut, and and as you see, uh, Tiffany, that big vein you have on your forehead right there, <laughs> that, that vein popped, right, and and that's the worst because the, it, it, it's a big vein. The blood is tough to it's extremely tough to stop, and the blood gets in your eyes. So I'm sitting there with Don House and Dana White's father, and
0: <laughs> I, remember I go that. in there.
1: Yeah, I go in there and I use the avatine, which is a coagulant. I use the thrombin or, or the adrenaline chloride, which is, is a vessel constrictor. I use everything in the kitchen sink to stop it. And he ended up winning the fight. Uh, but, you know, like a week later, I get a nice letter from Forrest and a nice gift certificate to a restaurant. You know, so so that was a very, very special moment. Uh, but Jay Haran, when he fought Jonathan Goulet, that was the bloodiest fight I've ever worked in my life, right? And and if you look at that canvas, it's in Randy Couture's gym. Right.
0: But
1: same thing, <laughs> he, took, he took a knee and got that same cut, and, and there's so much blood from the top of their head to the bottom of the feet, both fighters that right. make me nauseated. But at that time, the doctor asked me, as I'm working on the what do you think? Oh no, I got it under control, I got it under control. And I'm putting the adrenaline Vaseline on it, and I cover it up, and as soon as I cover it up, the blood just spurts out like a leak in the, in the thing. Uh, that was a crazy moment for me, you know, yeah. but it did. It. So much blood, it made me nauseated.
0: Oh, goodness. Okay, I'm glad that you answered that because there's been tons of those, but I remember those fights like yesterday. So, yes, I can definitely agree with you on some of that. But, yes, like you said, composure is everything. So I want to talk about, you know, you say you have big dreams and, and you're not done yet. So let's talk about what's to come, coming out of all of this and what you're working on, what you're most excited about.
1: Well, there's, there's, you know, things just happen. And, and to this point, I swear, I've never asked for one job. It just, things just happen, right? And I let them happen, you know, so I just kind of go and, and I get determined what's this and what's not. Anyway, so I had written a book called From the Fields to the Garden, because I grew up as a farm worker and my goal was to make it to Massachusetts Square Garden. So I did one, and the second one is after the UFC let me go. So From the Fields to the Garden, one and two, and, uh, and that's available at amazon.com. It's a good book, really. Anyway, that's being turned into a documentary. And uh, we started filming. Uh, originally, the Garden, New York, which was my goal, was going to be our last point of filming. But we got, uh, for boxing, Andre Ward, Vladimir Klitschko, Mike Tyson. Uh, uh, we got uh, uh, Anderson Silva, Triple G, Cain Velasquez, guys, Michael B. Jordan, guys we we're going to interview. So, but as soon as I signed with this group, a week later, find out that Triple G is fighting, of all places, Madison Square Garden. So these guys got so excited, so they readjusted their budget, which would have been the last of the filming. And we took a crew to New York, and uh, The Garden, Triple G, and The Zone all gave us all access. So the the footage that we needed, which is the end of the documentary, we got. And uh, so then this COVID kicked in. So just last week, uh, the producer uh, called me and says, can we start doing interviews again, you think? you know, with his COVID and all that. And Andre Ward is is one of the commentators for ESPN that's here in the bubble with us. And uh, I spoke to Andre, and yeah, December the 12th, we're going to interview him. And then, so we'll continue doing that. But in that process also, there was another group that touched bases with Gerald, the producer, about doing a segment or a series called The Rap" with Stitch Durant, where I would wrap your hands and we would talk, uh, just, you know, as BJ Penn, talk story. And, yeah. and uh, so... I was presenting that to Andre, and Andre got so excited that he wants to be the one to do the pilot for this. So that's happening right there, right? Uh, also, I just I'm working with um, a group called CBD Science, and they created a cream for cuts. So I once once you get cut, you get sewn up. Mm-hmm. You apply the cream in it. It has stem cell, has collagen, vitamin E, cool. uh, CBD. So it accelerates the healing process.
0: Yes. So when
1: they call me, they says I asked them because everybody has CBD. Everybody, right? I said, well, what proof source do you have? And that's going back to me being in marketing and sales at R.J. Reynolds. What yeah. proof source? Well, he says, that's what we called you. I said, all right. Well, look, I'm doing the bare knuckle fights. If you are interested, I'll talk to Dave Feldman. You go over there. Because all these guys, 70% cut ratio is high. So they get sewn up in the dressing room, take a picture of them, give them the cream. They apply it every day. A week later, they send a picture, and the results have been tremendous. So... Now we just this week started going out to market, so it's called the Cut Cream. Uh, it's available at uh, uh CBD Science, and so you know, all these things are happening. Uh, you know, I'm waiting for Creed 3. And uh, you know, Michael B. Jordan, I was, I was telling him because, like I said, I spent every day wrapping his hands six yeah, weeks.
0: Great job. You know?
1: And uh, so I told Michael how proud I was of him and all that. And he said, Stitch, we went from being actors to writers, producers, and directors. And he's looking at me like I'm looking at you, he says, I'm directing Creed 3. And you're with me as long as you want, uh, and then this COVID kicked in. You know, so we'll see, we'll see what happens. But yeah,
0: this COVID, I'm telling you, don't get me started. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Oh, exactly. So for
0: that, uh,
1: Thursday I'm going to LA. I'm working with Badu dude Jack. He's on the Mike Tyson uh, undercard. Uh, so that's my first time leaving because uh, I'm a little still apprehensive about traveling and all that. Right. Uh, and I'm working the fights at the bubble uh, with the top rank. I've done. 23 shows with them since June, and they're all on ESPN, uh, you know, so uh, under these bad circumstances, I'm doing okay, I've been blessed.
0: Yes, absolutely, it sounds like it, and what I will say with that cream alone, you having stem cells is what really sets the bar, because that's the healing aspect that you're seeing, that you're getting those results from, so that's really special, so anyone can use it, I'm like, gosh, I could probably use some at home, it's like, it's Neosporin on steroids, so...
1: (laughs) <laughs> and you're right. In. And and the thing about it, it's not so much more for athletes. It's the athletes that we're using the proofs on because it works for the, these guys that get major cuts. It's going to yeah. work for you when you get your plastic surgery or you get minor surgery, and so it's 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 directed towards people in the medical. Uh, anybody anybody that gets cut, but, yeah. but it works well, and that's why I'm glad to be supporting
0: them. I love that. So awesome! Congratulations on everything. I knew you. I, I knew you had something up your sleeve we're going to get through this COVID obviously we're going to, you know, shine brighter than ever. I think as a nation, we're going through this, just like anything else we're going through this to overcome and whoever would have thought we'd be alive during a time like now, you know, it's, it's really crazy to, to look back, but, uh, talking about a little bit about this, what is your biggest fear? What is one thing that, you know, you just, you you just can't overcome or you are working on overcoming or you, you constantly do step into those fears. So, so what is that one fear for you? You know, I I
1: kind of learn to accept everything as it comes. You know, I, I I'm not scared of death. You know, I've done crazy shit like ayahuasca and all kinds of stuff. So you know, I uh, so I I challenge things as they come to me, and and uh, no, I'm not really I'm not really scared of anything. You know, I
2: I'm, glad you just, I'm, the I'm so happy you said that. We literally our last <laughs> episodes were with a good friend of ours, Michael O'Shea, and he's yes. done. He's all about plant medicine and healing. So the fact that you said that, I was like, oh, I let's was like, talk oh my gosh. That. That's but um that's so incredible. Like to hear you're just like, I'm not scared of death. I'm not scared of this. I've done crazy things. And that's just that's awesome. You're just uh, uh, I just oh uh, I'm so glad that we did this.
0: But to bounce back off of ayahuasca, let's uh, <laughs> because that right there. So speaking of Michael O'Shea about he's, he actually left, he was huge here in Las Vegas when it came to hospitality. He actually left to South America to go study for months and he actually can create the medicine now. He said he's had over 20 ceremonies and every single one has been different. And when I have spoken to him, he does also have that. I'm not afraid of anything because he's not afraid of death. He's not afraid. He loves fears. But he also has conquered them through this experience. So let's talk about your ayahuasca experience. And I feel like we're being called Ferris. This is we've heard this too much now <laughs> with ayahuasca and flat medicine. Oh man, Stitch, what'd you just do? <laughs> but let's talk about your experience because I want to talk about how you you know went through that and how many times you've done it, and then also what you've learned from it.
1: Yeah, well, you know, there one of the cutmen that used to work for Strike Force, and then uh, when the UFC bought Strike Force, they brought him in, Weetsi. We'd see is, is actually a shaman. He's, uh, uh, but, you know, when we went to do the UFC in Mexico, uh, Mexico City, he introduced me to his head shaman, and we went to the pyramids, and, and uh, every step, every platform that we, we walked the pyramids, but every platform, he walked us around the pyramid and explain everything through, I mean, this guy was was phenomenal, right? Uh, So we did it through all all the steps and all that. And uh, after that, he invited us to go eat. We had ant eggs, which was a delicacy for the Aztecs. But Witsi was always trying to say, you gotta try it, you gotta try it. Witsi used to live in San Jose. So there's Indian Canyon, which is actually uh, native land. And um, it was done by the natives there. So uh, some of the the MMA guys, uh, had done it so I wanted to. I wanted, finally I had a weekend off, and, and he said, All right, you got to eat fruits and vegetables and water for a week, you know, your system and what have you not. So I flew to San Jose, rented a car, went up to Indian Mountain, and uh, there they're setting up the teepee literally, the teepee they're putting the stuff on it. Uh, they get the grass for the inside, uh, for the sweat lodge, right? They get the, the lava racks, box, and all that. And so the first night, um, we we do that, you know, we go into into the uh, sweat lodge and, and it's pitch black in there. And Ritzy is doing his services and I'm next to him. And, you know, you can't stretch your legs out cause you'll get burned by the lava rocks and it's dark. And some people, you know, they can't stand the heat and all that. And I'm taking the pain and, and finally it's over and I'm ready to walk out and Ritzy says, no, no, no. One more. Oh shit, man, I got to do it one more time, right? So I do that. And and in the nighttime, you know, you smoke your joint and all that before you go in and then all that, but in the nighttime, uh, I, I we set up our tents, right? Richie says buy a tent. we we'll say they had to set it up for me because I know nothing about that. I go lay in my tent and I say, Hey, this is too hard here. So I go into my vehicle and I put the seat back and I lay down in my car. But I had my shoes outside and I get up about three in the morning to go to the bathroom with one of my uh, sandals and one of my shoes are gone. The raccoons had gotten them. And <laughs> so finally, I found them. well, the next day, the next day we go into a big giant meadow and yeah. I take my my pad there and, and you drink the ayahuasca and you just kind of go into your own journeys. Right. And uh, I remember there was a girl that was next to me and I kind of look at her and and her eyes are closed and tears are coming down her eyes. So Mm -hmm. I don't know what she was going through. And there was another guy that was screaming and and he was going through his moments. And so they moved me away, you know, into an area, but I, uh, I went through some journeys, you know, and uh, there was always this one little blue light that I saw that, I always said, there's a blue I've never seen before. And, and there was always like an eagle, you know, that was in but we'd say I told him that. And he said, no, but you had a good trip, you know, the light, that's the end of the tunnel, but the eagle, that's your strength, and that's, you know, this and that. And it really didn't hit on me until I took a Armed Forces Entertainment tour like a month later to Afghanistan with Georgian Ghost from MMA Junkie. Mm-hmm. There I got to see the warriors, the true warriors. These are the gladiators that yeah. go into battle it's a life and death situation. It's not like fighters. Fighters come back, you know. Uh, but I got to hear a lot of their stories. And, uh, you know, one guy from Croatia, he sees me and Jake Allenberger and Amir Sadala. And says, hey, guys, hey, let's take a picture. And, and he tells Amir and Jake, he uh, said, look, no offense to you guys, I want to take a picture with Stitch. I don't know if it's because of Stitch or because I work with Krokop, right? But he puts his arm around me and he says, he goes, no offense to you guys. He goes, I'm not a fighter, I'm a killer. You know, and I'm thinking, wow, man, you know, these are the real deals. Yeah. Another guy from Poland tells me, you know, Stitch, I studied Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, and they gave me the common effect to accept that. And so that, everything came to fruition, and, and that experience that I had with that just kind of let me know that there's, I've always believed in different dimensions. Right. Somehow, you get, you get that bang in your head, and you get that, I think that's a little different dimension. But I've always believed in different dimensions, and I, I got to see it when, when I was in Ayahuasca. Uh, would I do it again? Yeah, of course. You know, the cell, you know, I'm gay. You know, but but showing <laughs> you are talking about the guts, right? Well, we're doing this unfortunate entertainment. We're in Kyrgyzstan, and we go to the K9 unit and they wanna suit one of us up with the outfits and have the dog chase them, right? Well, Jake Allenberger and Amir Sadala, all these badass USC guys were scared. And I said, Well, I'm the oldest one. Let's do it. So that dog chased me down and he tore me down like a, you know, like, like a rag doll, but I was the first one to do it. And finally, you know, after the dog got tired, they, they did it, you know, but uh, yeah, that's, uh, it was a great experience.
0: Wow. So, so you're, you're basically saying that you, you've experienced your own death and, and you know what that feels like. So, and you're okay with that and you believe in different dimensions and, you know, yeah. spiritual worlds and I, and you believe in God, correct?
1: Yes, yes, of course you have to.
0: So, you know, what I hear a lot of people say, through, exactly, especially during through that, and when people really understand, like, how it brings you closer to God. I mean, we've talked to a lot of people, um, Michael O'Shea, one specific, just because he has so much knowledge around this. Um, but in that moment, like, were you able to, you know, cross over and, and talk to God and, and go through that experience, knowing that everything's going to be okay, looking at your afterlife?
1: Well, I, I don't think it was the thing of talking to God. I think that's, you know, I think that's with religion, uh, it, I don't think there's a person it, it's not a person it's, it's, it's a position yeah. that, that is understood that you have to understand and, and I think I understood that position you know mm-hmm. I, I, I don't know whether that blue light uh, that I saw that's a blue like I've never seen before whether that was the dimension mm-hmm. that, that actually creates God mm-hmm. and all that but I, I knew that you know there's something that created us that I had to explore to see what got me here and, and I think that, uh, that answered my question, you know, it's not, you know, God is not a person. It's, 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 uh, it's hard to explain. It's an it's energy. It's just it's it's what an, it is. It's, it's
2: what surrounds you. It's, I, yeah. I it's get the it. Karma, it's it's the so energy, it's,
1: you know, I'm and I look at ourselves, that. I think I understand now that we are computers with flesh somehow, you know, and, and, you know, cause I tell my wife, I just got it. you know, I have to deprogram because I have so much stuff in my head. If I could just delete, 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 delete some of it, the stuff that I don't need, then I'll be able to accept more stuff. But, uh, yeah, I think that's that's the way I look at life. You know, I, To me, when it comes to religions per se, Catholics, Christians, Buddhism, Muslims, and all that, those are just foundations to keep people on the right track. That I understand, you know, and, and, and if there's good to it, then that's good. But as I look deeper into it and I take those away, what is God to me? Well, God is everything I just explained and everything that I saw.
0: I love that. That was one of the most powerful statements that I've had yet on, on TikTok. So thank you so much for that. And Stitch, you know, I'm really excited for what you have coming up. I do know that I'm going to have you back on here talk about everything that's happening, what's new. Um, and, and I really want to talk about, so there's a couple of things. You have a book on Amazon. Where can our guests find that? Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> and also with your uh, your cut development. So, you also have your CBD creams and your uh, you also have wraps that you've also made. So, is there a website that people can go to?
1: Yeah, yeah. My, I have my own tape, uh, Stitched uh, Premium Athletic Tape. Really, it's the best tape out there. And, and then I also created an end swell for the swelling. But that's available at Cut Man for Higher Supplies. Uh, and, and they're the only ones that carry it because through a dream, I had a dream that, and that's the way life works for me, right? I mm-hmm. had a dream. Because I was busy traveling so much, I couldn't. You know, if you ordered tape for me and I was in Germany, I couldn't get it to you till Monday when I got back, right? So, through a dream, I called Juan Ramirez that owns Cutman for Hire Supplies, and I said, Look, I had a dream, man. Would you be interested in handling my, my stuff? And of course, you know, puts my name on his product, right? And uh, so today, you know, that we're working together. And uh, so he carries all cornerman, Cutman supplies, the best of the best, and then he carries my tape. Well, he just sent me a text last night that Jake, uh, Jake Paul that's fighting on the Tyson card, big YouTuber, just ordered some products from him. You know? <laughs>
2: yeah, I know
0: that kid. That's, yeah, that's great. Yeah.
1: That's yeah.
0: Awesome. No. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to end it with this, okay? It's going to be a little bit different. Now that everyone knows, and we're going to put it into the show notes, where to find you. Obviously, get your book on Amazon. <laughs> yep. Sometimes people have multiple sources of where they, they outlet their books. So I just wanted to double check. But what is one thing, that nobody knows about you, whether it's something weird or something very, you know, intriguing. What is one thing that no one knows about you?
1: Uh, wrinkle clothes. They bug the shit out of, <laughs> out of me. Stop. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm a big fanatic with ironing, right? And, then, <laughs> and my wife, okay, well, you know the irons, right? The iron, if you look at an iron, the average iron, you know, it has like 20, 24 holes, right? My wife bought me one that has like 300. <laughs> but then in doing that, she also bought me a steamer that's like an iron that... Man, it, like it just came out of the cleaners. My son lives in Indianapolis. He called me the other day. He said, Dad, I forgot to tell you. You know, he was in a wedding, but I had to iron all the guy's pants and put creases on them because they didn't know what to do. So ironing to me is a big thing. You know, the, the way I look at life is if you start off fresh and iron, and you get wrinkled down the road, yeah, that's progression, that's good. But if you come out and you got wrinkled outfits, I got a problem with that. <laughs> I was working with—I don't really remember Frida Gibbs. She was a world champion kickboxer. When uh, Javier Mendes uh, or Scott Coker did the show, I worked the corner with her. And, and this one guy brings out a satin uh, cornerman jacket and he puts it on. It's all wrinkled. I didn't know the guy. And I said, "No, no, no!" I said, "You got to take that off, man!" I said, "Because this girl is on TV fighting for a world title, and you can't represent her like that." I made him take it off. So, <laughs> yeah, don't 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 come at me with wrinkled clothes because I won't put you in a check
2: duly noted <laughs> i love that though because you think about it, he's the best cut man but he's the best cut man think about it like he's got the cut creases yeah like, like i'm sure his creases could like slice somebody but i love that you got to be super fresh i that's that's i love that that's right and you guys
0: thank you so much for today's stitch we will definitely have you on again especially after going over, you know, what's to come. I'm excited for you. Thank you so much for your time today on Tip Talks.
1: Well, thank you Tiffany, thank you for listening. Yeah, I got a ton of stories. Hey nobody has stories like I have. And, and I'm glad to share them.
0: That's right. Yep, right? That's true. We're not done yet.
1: <laughs> yeah. All right, thank you.